Hey Chili's! I hope you're having a great week and getting excited for fall. It's right around the corner. I know I'm super excited. Real Chills has a lot of stuff coming out in September and October, so if you're not following me, I can't recommend enough you going to the Instagram and following Real Chills podcast. Other than that, we have a really great guest. We had Bob Gilmer, who is a paranormal investigator out in Kansas, and he had so many fun stories. I think you're going to enjoy him. And I do want to give a little bit of a trigger warning. His final story is about a a murder case so it can get a little intense at times so just a heads up about that but other than that enjoy the episode you're listening to real chills with meg gets real scary real silly real stories Hey everybody, welcome to Real Chills. I'm super excited for our guest today. Today we have Bob Gilmer, a paranormal investigator. Bob, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on your show. And you got my last name right. Everybody says Gilmore instead of Gilmer. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I sometimes can read. So thank you for noticing. <laughs> No, I get it so many times. Like, happy Gilmer? It's like, no, no, no. E-R, not O-R-E. That's, that's intense because it doesn't have an O, so you think people would, would understand. I know. It's, but... Ever since the movie, everybody was just like, oh, you're happy Gilmer. It's like, no, I'm a Gilmer. Not <laughs> I'm a different person. That's a struggle. Yeah, it ruined, it ruined my last name. Oh, no. <laughs> Everyone gets my name way wrong, but it's not their fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a Pennsylvania thing, I guess. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> So normally on our show, we always ask our guests the same question. And that question okay. is, when it comes to the paranormal, where do you see yourself? Are you more of a true believer or a skeptic? Well, it's not an easy answer. I, I started out as a very skeptic person. Like I, I always loved the paranormal, the, the aspect of it, but I've never actually seen anything or believed it until I started actively investigating. Um, so now I'm kind of like on the verge of both. It's kind of weird. I go in skeptical, but then when I can't explain something, then I, I actually believe it because I've seen it. But in my brain, it's still, well, there has to be an explanation for this or that or whatever is happening. So that's where I first go to. And then if I can't explain it, then it's like, oh, it has to be paranormal, which doesn't mean it's a ghost or anything. It just means that it's not normal. Right. That, you know, that's so interesting because I feel like a lot of people have an experience and that's what leads them to paranormal investigating. If you didn't start, like what brought you to paranormal investigation? Okay. Well, um, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I was born in the early seventies, so I'm kind of old. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, I'll be 50 here soon. But anyway, uh, I saw the movie when I was a little kid, uh, Close Encounters with the Third Kind. Oh, and yeah. Good stuff. I, mm -hmm. I saw that movie and it pretty much changed my life. I was like, <laughs> wow. Sure. Oh, wow. It's like uh, it, with the aliens and all that stuff. And that led mm -hmm. me to, you know, the sci-fi movies of the 1980s, which is like The Last Starfighter. And I've always been obsessed with like space and stuff. But then something came out in the 80s and it was called Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that sent me down the path of the paranormal world. And 
as I got older and stuff, you know, as a kid, you always do Ouija boards and, you know, light as a feather, stuff as a board kind of stuff, you know, like kind of what kids do, you know, you always do like Bloody Mary and the mirror and all that kind of stuff just to scare each other. Totally. Yeah. And, and that, um, well, I lived in, in Pennsylvania on the East coast or East side of Pennsylvania, East coast of Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> near Philadelphia, near Philadelphia. It was like an hour and a half North of Philly. And um, yeah, so it was a town called Ephrata, Pennsylvania, which is like right by Lancaster and everybody calls it Lancaster, but it's mm -hmm. Lancaster. Mm -hmm. And um, there was always like back in high school, you know, they, they talked about there was a legend of Hookman and it was like uh, my mom and dad told me about it up in the woods. There was, you know, you <laughs> parked in the car and you get out and there's a hook on the edge of the car. I mean, it's like in every town, everybody. Has I've that heard story. that story in my town, too, of the I mean, like the couple awesome. on the date and the hook in yeah, the yeah. door. Yeah. yeah. And my, <laughs> and so my parents were like, yeah, we got out of the car and there was a hook hanging, you know, like, you know, it, in every, the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, wow, where was this at? And all this and that. So that led us to like, you know, just exploring in the woods and trying to scare each other and stuff. But then I moved to Kansas about 20 some odd years ago. And um, I'm in Wichita, Kansas now. And I just started on the internet, just looking around for local teams and stuff. And there was a local team here and they started having events and stuff. So I, I kind of was like a groupie and I just kind of went to their <laughs> events. Sure. Yeah, I went to all their events and stuff. And Next thing you know, they asked me, hey, you know, you're always hanging out with us. Would you like to go on an investigation like, for real? And instead of a uh, uh, Patreon, you know, do you just go as, a, you know, an actual investigator? And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done this before. And, they're, awesome. you know, they, they kind of showed me a little bit of the tips and stuff. And the first place we went to, my first real investigation, there's a town here north of Wichita, a couple of hours. And they, back in the 70s, they found a city underneath the city. Because back in the 1800s, the old West days, they always built underground for Whoa. like the Cowboys and stuff. So there's this town, it's called Ellenwood, Kansas. And there was a homeowner and he was just working in the basement and knocked a hole in the wall. And it led to their storefronts and boardwalks. That's board so cool. That's so yeah, cool. Um, yeah. If you look up Ellenwood, Kansas, uh, you could see pictures and stuff of the underground city. And that was my first investigation and that just, I was hooked ever since, yeah. um, you know, cause I never would have thought I would have been in a city under a city. You know, it's like you walk around this corner and there's tiny little um, like pathways and then it opens up to this big room and there's like a dentist or not a dentist chair, uh, uh, a barber chair and all the equipment. And there's bullet holes in the wall from when all the Cowboys were down there. The Lady of the Night was there. There was metal bathtubs where the guys could get, you know, a haircut, uh, a bath, and have, you know, fun with the lady. Um, all that's still down there. It was down there for 70 years, and people just forgot about it. That's And it was all boarded crazy. off. Yeah. Yeah, now you can take tours and stuff, but there was a lot of paranormal claims of hearing voices and screaming and all that stuff underneath the city there. And so, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, and you're underneath the town, it's kind of... I, I was hooked. You know, it's like that's awesome. I wasn't, I wasn't really scared. I was like, "What are what are causing these noises?" And right. you know, all the equipment, and it was almost overwhelming. And I'll never forget uh, the main investigator, the guy that owned the group. Um, 
He said to me, the best piece of equipment you can have on a paranormal investigation is you, your body. You know, like you could, as you're walking, you could feel like temperature change. You could feel like the hair on your arms stand up. So, you know, instead of having thousands of dollars of equipment, all the lights and sounds and stuff, yeah, that's fun. But your body is like the number one and, you know, piece of equipment that you use. And from that point on, I, you know, that's how I investigate. Yeah. Trusting your instinct. That's so important. We talk about this all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could have, you know, K2 meters and millimeters and all this and that, but if you're walking around looking at your meter, you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. There right. could be a ghost right behind you and you never even know. <laughs> and you miss it. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just crazy. Yeah. But that's what led me down the path. And I've been investigating almost every weekend for what, 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you must have some stories. Let's, let's hear them. Uh, man. Uh, <laughs> let's see. One of my most interesting stories, I'll, I'll save like the good stuff for uh, in a minute. Uh, I'll start off slow. Um, there is a town here in uh, just north of Wichita again. It's called Hutchinson, Kansas. And there is a salt mine down there. And the whole underneath the whole town is a salt mine. It's 650 feet straight down. It's a museum. And uh, back when it was an active mine, there were six miners that passed away in the museum uh. or in the mine. And now it's a museum. So everybody that works there keeps hearing voices and Granted, you're 650 feet down, so you're not going to have, you know, road noise or anything. That's scarier to me than the ghosts, honestly. I hate the thought of that, but okay. No, uh, they're not. Well, you go down and it's almost like if you think of like a waffle, the way mm. it has chambers in it, uh, mm. they're nine foot high by like 12 foot wide. And then there's like a post and that, that's the whole mine. But it goes on for hours or for miles and miles and miles and miles. Like... It's almost like you cannot fathom how big this mine is. Wow. And they talk about the Tommyknockers down there. And Tommyknockers are like these creatures that live that deep. And if uh, a lot of the miners are superstitious and if they hear knocking sounds, it usually leads to a cave-in. So, wow. uh, yeah. And they talk about these creatures that live down there and they're Tommyknockers. But anyways, uh, so we go and investigate because they have all this weird stuff happening. And when I tell you it's darker than you possibly could ever imagine down there when you turn the lights off, there's oh. no, I mean, it's almost like being completely blind. There's no light source at all. And your eyes are like useless. I mean, you can't see your hand right up against your face. You cannot That's see. That's so anything. scary. <laughs> so your, your other, uh, senses kick in so um you're you're hearing and all this and that so as you're standing there and investigating and asking questions and next thing you know you hear footsteps and this is a salt mine so everything's salt the, the ceiling the, the walls the floor everything's like compacted salt and you hear footsteps coming up from behind you like boots like grinding into the salt and you turn around and there's nobody there for miles That's so i wonder uh, because it's a salt mine and salt is sort of like thinking about like witchy or i guess paranormal oh, right. it's like it's protective yeah. so i wonder if they're trapped inside because of the salt i don't know just and, in the and, no yeah and that's kind of like what we thought too um because oh, there's a way to get into the museum the the mine it's a mine cart and it's you stand in it and it's almost like an elevator but you can right. only fit 50 15 people in this elevator 
and it takes 90 seconds to get from top to bottom. Ugh. And they stop halfway down because the air rushes past you um, and your ears pop and all that stuff from the pressure. Mm. And living in Kansas, I never would have thought if, for a million years that this even existed in Kansas, you know, because there's nothing here. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> it's Kansas, you know, but no, it's only like an hour and a half away. And down in the salt mines, they have Hollywood keeps all their artifacts down there. Because it's always 65 degrees, there's no humidity, no bugs, no anything. So they actually have like artifacts from movies. Like uh, that's so cool. They have the George Clooney Batman suit down there uh, in, in a case, and they have um, Doctor Freeze when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger played him. Uh, they have all these suits. They have that's so um, random. <laughs> yeah, they have Mister Mister Smith from the Matrix. They have all their suits down there. They have Dean Kane's Superman suit down there. Uh, it, it's so weird, but it's part of the museum. There's these artifacts from, from Hollywood, and they actually have, like, the old 35-millimeter film down there. So supposedly wow. the original copy of a lot of famous movies from the 1930s are down in this mine, and they're in, the, in this big vault that they keep them safe because they'll never deteriorate because it's always climate controlled. No matter what time of the year it is, it's always 65 degrees. So investigating down there and seeing blue orbs of light that actually give off their own light source bouncing around in this mind and you shine a flashlight on it and there's nothing there, no Whoa. rhyme or reason why. It, it's amazing. That's a, a really cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah. I wonder too, like, are those like spirits or are they like different entities that are just like like, because um, sometimes there's, like, nature spirits and things like that, too. Right. And I kind of wondered that, too. Like, if it was, like, an elemental or something right. that's just been part of the mine down there. The mine's been there since the 1930s. Wow. And everything that's taken down into the mine stays in the mine. They never take it back out. So, back in the 1930s, the cars and stuff that are in the mine, the carts, and they had to take it all apart, put it in this mine shaft, and send it down, and then reassemble it. So all their garbage, all that stuff is still down there from the thirties and it's never going to deteriorate because there's no bugs. There's no anything to make it break down. So they have a whole room full of nothing but like trash from the 1930s. So you can see the miners. <laughs> That's so weird. All the candy bar wrappers. It, it's really interesting, but like I said, there are six mine, like mining accidents throughout the years. Like one guy was crushed by a mine cart. And by the time they got him, topside he was already you know gone because they had right. to race him over to the mine cart you know send him up and it takes 90 seconds up and by that time he was already gone and around this mine cart that's down there they always um see handprints all over it and they wipe it down every night and then when they come Whoa. back in there's the chalky handprints on this cart um and we witnessed it was wasn't handprints it was more of like somebody sitting on the seat like the bottom uh, like mm -hmm. somebody's butt out uh, print in in this in the like the dust and stuff and they wipe <laughs> it down they wiped it down and when next time it came back uh it was there again and it was behind these bars and stuff so the general public can't get to that um so unless they're messing with us but it was just weird that this it's all centered around the cart that where the accident happened it feels like they're playing, like, that one is playing, like, a joke on you guys. Because, <laughs> like, that's such oh, yeah. silly evidence. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's very strange. But then you get voices, and, like, I got a hello down there a couple times. And using the ghost box, I'm sure you, uh, everybody knows what that is from watching mm -hmm. Ghost Adventures. 
It's just like a radio that scans through the frequencies. But down there, there's no radio to interfere. So if you get a voice through it, it's pretty interesting because I can't explain what it would be. There's no rhyme or reason that a voice would come through a radio when you're 650 feet below ground. You right. know, uh, you know, radio waves aren't going to reach that far down. At least not that I know of. I wouldn't mm -hmm. think it would. Yeah, so it's really interesting to get voices and stuff through that. Um, but yeah, that was like, I think the third or fourth investigation I ever had. It always seems like it was underground for some reason. What is the like vibe in the cave? Is it is it scary? Do you guys feel like there's like th menacing or is it just No, um it it seems very playful at first. I think my my uh fears and stuff cuz I've seen so many of those uh horror movies, you know, when right. you go down in the, the descent, there's creatures yeah. crawling. Yeah. There's creatures crawling in on the walls and stuff. So right. in my head that's like, oh, that was going to happen. You know, even though it's, you know, that's far from what would ever happen, but in my mind um, that's what I thought I would see, but then I got comfortable, and you forget that you're 650 feet down. You're just investigating in this room. You know, it's it's mm -hmm. like you don't really realize that you're that far down. Certain parts of the mine uh, has, I don't know, almost like a pressure to it. It's hard to explain. Uh, it's almost like your chest. It's real hard to breathe and stuff in certain areas of the mine. It's pumped in oxygen and stuff, so it should be all the same. You know, so. It's not like there's pockets of where they're not getting enough oxygen right. or whatever. It's it's all, you know, monitored. Yeah, so I think there are, like, certain areas of the mind, like, maybe where stuff happens or, like, there's some energy. Um, because Kansas back in the day was under the ocean. I mean, we were – that's why there's so much salt under Kansas. Because back in the, you know, the dinosaur age, we were an ocean. That's so interesting. <laughs> Yeah, it was so salty. Um, it was almost like, uh, what is it, the Black Sea where you could float in? No. Right. Yeah. That a whole lot of fish didn't live here because it was so so much salt in the water. And then when the waters receded, um, it just left it here. So, yeah, there's a whole big history underneath. So if you're ever in Kansas, go to Hutchinson and, and you can actually go down there. It's a museum. Maybe. I have a thing about going down <laughs> into a big hole, but I'll consider it <laughs> for the ghosts. If you're ever in Kansas, let me know. I'll take you there. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, probably my favorite place to investigate is uh, here in town in Wichita itself. Um, it's a living history museum. And it is probably the craziest experiences I've ever had in investigating in this place. Uh, we've investigated out there for 14 years now. Wow. Almost every year I've been investigating. So... Uh, if you ever know what Dodge City is, everybody knows Dodge City, Kansas, you know, from the Old West days and Tombstone and all that stuff. Well, in Wichita here, uh, they have buildings from all over the state that were brought into one location. And now it is a museum. And it's 53 different buildings, historical buildings from the like the 1890s to 1870s. That's so cool. I've never yeah, heard of that um, before. That's it, it's, so it's, cool. It's called Old Cowtown Museum in Wichita, Kansas. We do a lot of events out there, um, but every building out there has a different history. And so one building is actually called uh, Marshall Murdoch, started the Wichita newspaper back in the 1890s. And his original house is actually sitting in the museum. 
and come to find out like um, a lot of paranormal investigating is doing history and that's Mm -hmm. probably why I love investigating I love history I love standing in places where it's like man 200 years ago somebody stood right here you know to me that's I'm a big history buff I'm so about that too I love that well, uh, doing history of this house, I mean, it's a museum, so everybody, the curator at the museum knows all the history about the family. And mm-hmm. just sitting there reading about the history of, you know, the people that lived in this house, and you're standing right there in the house. Well, that house is probably one of the most active houses I've ever been in. And it's an old, like, Victorian-style house. There's not much to it. There's a, when you first walk in, there's a, a parlor and then, like, a living room. And then you have like a dining area and a kitchen down on the first floor. And then there's three bedrooms upstairs. It's not huge, but back in the day, that was, you know, a pretty good house, you know, back in the 1800s. Well, anyway, Mr. Murdoch lived there and he had seven children that lived in that house also with him. And one of his children was named Love and Tangle. Like it's a, it's a flower back then, but now it's, it's a weed. (laughs) It's love. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. It, it was it was his wife's favorite flower, so they named her Aww. her daughter Love and like the letter N and then Tangle. And she died of spinal meningitis in the house when she was nine years old. There's no pictures of her. Um, I've been to her. Her grave is here in the mausoleum and stuff, and. But nobody ever knows what she looks like. But since the 1950s, everybody sees a little girl in this house. And if uh, you remember watching Little House on the Prairie, mm-hmm. uh, Nellie Olson that had the curly blonde hair, the, the big long locks and stuff, this mm-hmm. is what everybody sees, a little girl in a period-style oh. dress, 1890s. So I thought that was really interesting. And come to find out that when she passed away, spinal meningitis they had her viewing in that house so the front parlor is where her casket was and people would come into the house and you know they put the black drapes on the windows and all that back in the victorian days when they have girl scouts and stuff come out to the museum they do activities outside and that's so funny they just they have girl scouts come out and hang out yeah um and they have like campouts and stuff like that and the girl scouts that's so cool yeah they do all kinds of like activities out there and like learning how to uh make your own soap and all kinds of neat stuff but the 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 girls always go well who's the little kid up in the window and they're like, there's oh. nobody up there. The door's locked. It's uh, just like uh, artifacts and stuff. It's like where they keep um, overflow stock. And then they'll bring it out to the museum and take more stuff and put it up there. It's just for storage. There's nobody up there. And they're like, no, look, uh, up in the window, there's a little girl looking out. And all of the people that work in the museum, uh, they see her almost every day. They talk to her. They see her. Wow. Uh, when they walk in the door, they go, hey, Tangle, it's just so-and-so I'm just here and I have to grab something and I'll leave right away I mean I talk to her every time I walk in the building I'm like hey it's just me Bob again you know we're just here to let you know talk to you we're not here to scare you or anything and we have like a rapport with her it's it's have you gotten like any EVPs uh, or like more um, more than I can count uh really in this house it's like the house actually becomes alive it's it's so weird to say one minute you'll be staying there and it just feels like an empty old house. And then the next minute, it's like somebody flipped the switch and you're in somebody's house and you feel that pressure of you're not wanted here. You get out of my house kind of thing. Wow. Anyway, so um, throughout the 14 years of investigating, 
um, I've seen her at least four or five times, like actually full body little girl. Um, what you've seen like full body you've seen yeah, yeah. her um, almost house. everybody on our team has throughout all the years so looking up the stairs and up into the bedrooms that are up there that are holding artifacts now i was looking up the staircase and this head poked around the corner of the top of the staircase and looked down at me and it was a little girl and i was like there's no way i just saw that you know i was like there has to be somebody up there messing with me they came up there before we got there, you know, just playing around. So I run up the stairs and the investigator that's right behind me, he's uh, ex-military, big guy, doesn't get scared at all over anything. He goes right up behind me and he's like probably four steps away from where I'm standing at the top of the stairs. So I have one foot on the top step and one on the landing up at the very top of the stairs. And uh, I pull out a ghost box and I was like, okay, Tangle, are you here with us? Can you say hi? And you hear through the ghost box a full-on sentence, a little girl saying, Daddy, you promised. <gasps> and we have it on recording and stuff. We play it at our events and stuff. And uh, I swear it was Tangle. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and it was, Daddy, you promised. And What a sad thing to get. <laughs> That's a bummer. Of a you would think you would want her to say something more fun, like, I love being dead or something. Yeah, not yeah. Like it was Daddy, you promised. So <laughs> what did Daddy promise? That people wouldn't bother her? And I apologize. Yeah. For I'm like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. To give her privacy or something. Yeah, so we, yeah. we went to turn around to come back down the stairs. And the other investigator was in front of me. And he's 6'4", and he's a big guy. So he's walking and he's probably about 10 steps in front of me walking back downstairs because I didn't want to bother Angle. I wanted to leave her alone. And then all of a sudden we were wearing shorts at the time because it was in the summer and something grabs his leg and he actually could feel the finger, the fingers grab and squeeze his calf muscle. <gasps> and he just goes, that's Tangle. I know it. I could feel it. And from that moment on, he and Tangle have a very, um, very cool relationship. I can send you some uh, video if you want to see it. Uh, Please. Yeah, but, uh, I'd love the, to. The SLS camera that picks up, um, it's an Xbox Connect pretty much, and it picks up the stick figures. Mm -hmm. We were using that, and Sean, uh, the investigator that, that made this contact with Tangle when she grabbed his leg, this was just maybe last year. Uh, he's sitting there and he's like, she's right next to me. I could feel her. Like, I was like, okay, uh, let's talk to her and all this stuff. And he goes, Tangle, we're not here to hurt you. If you want to come over and stand by me, I'll protect you. I'll keep you safe from everybody. We just want to talk to you. And he goes, something's squeezing my hand. And through the, S through the SLS, you can actually see a stick figure reach over and grab his hand. And wow he didn't know it at the time i wasn't saying hey you know there's something touching you and he goes something i could feel it right on my wrist and that's where the stick figure was touching him so without me saying there's something there holding your hand he said it as it was happening on you know so to me as a, a skeptical kind of person that was like how would he know that right then and there on the sls camera that something was touching his hand right as he said it you know to me that right. made it it was like good uh, collaboration or I guess that's the right word but it, it made sense to me because it's like he was actually feeling this right this is a weird question does he look like um uh Mr. Murdoch the dad does he look, um, does, is he similar looking 
no, not at all. Mr. Murdoch was like a smaller kind of guy, and uh, he is, a, but he's a big kind of cuddly teddy bear. Everybody calls him. He's a right. very, very nice guy. So <laughs> I can. He's totally, comforting. Yeah, I can totally. He has a very loud, booming voice, but it's very comforting. So I could mm-hmm. see why. I mean, him and her. He saw her um, just here a couple of months ago. He was in the house, and we had uh, an event going on where we had like probably fifty or sixty people going around the town, we were telling investigation stories and kind of what I'm doing now. And he looks over and it's about six o'clock in the afternoon. And he's, he has about 10 people in the house with him. And he looks over to the front parlor and she's standing right there looking at him. <gasps> and it's behind, um, it's behind plexiglass. So it's not like somebody got into that room. It's clear plexiglass right. because uh, a lot of the artifacts are actually real artifacts. So they keep them, you know, uh, climate controlled and stuff like that. So, but yeah, you can look through the plexiglass and he saw a little girl standing inside the room. It wasn't like a reflection. And that's where a lot of people see her at looking out that window and stuff. So to this day, she's still there. And and during the day, during the night, anytime, somebody will go in there and they'll just, hey, Tango, how are you? You know. When the sports world was introduced to two new team names within a week, comedian Dave Primiano told his friend and fellow comedian Dan Getz, we should do a limited series podcast where we rank all the team names in sports. And they did just that. And after they were done, they decided, hey, let's just keep ranking stuff. Thus was born the Rank Bank, where each week they are joined by a panel of experts, aka fellow comedians, to rank all things ranging from the unimportant to the really unimportant. New episodes drop on Mondays and sometimes Tuesday if it's a two-parter. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore rank underscore bank. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, but that's just one house out of 50. So, I mean, I could go on for hours about all these houses. <laughs> right. Um, almost every single one has activity in it. And... It's brought from all over the state, but they're original buildings. So we think a lot of it is attached, you know, to our either artifacts or to the actual building itself. That's so interesting. At this point, how many of the buildings have you investigated? Uh, in the 14 years, I've investigated all of them. But now, Wow, okay. But now we have new activity starting in different places that didn't actually have activity. So some of the houses, I'm not saying every single one of them is haunted, but some of them didn't have activity. So for years, we never investigated in there because we're like, oh, we never really get anything in this house. Um, so I was like, hey, let's just try it again. You know, it's been a while. I kind of want to go in there and see. And craziness happens. It's like all, wow. heck, all heck is breaking loose. People are getting touched. Um, things are moving. It sounds like chairs sliding across the floor. Even though there's no chair sliding across the floor, you can hear that that squealing sound of like wood on wood going across the floor, and there's no rhyme or reason for it. There is now a uh, in one of the locations, a lady in a white dress that keeps showing up, and nobody knows where she came from or why. It's just here in the last like three years. So it's like, did they bring in some new artifacts and she was attached to them? Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So it's Maybe. like as a museum, they get donated a lot of stuff. So. You know, for us, it's when we have the huge events, people are like, oh, you just have, you know, noises set up to make us scared. And I was like, no, I swear to you, it's all real. So 
we actually have a lot of activity happen during, you know, our ghost hunt events and stuff. And people are like, no, there's no way that this is happening. I was like, no, really, it is. <laughs> That's we've been, awesome. We've been trying to get a lot of the TV shows, you know, to come out and it'd be like, this is a paranormal gold mine and nobody's ever investigated here. You know, like the big TV shows. Right. It's like, you know, you could have a new Waverly, you know, place and you could have a new, what is it, uh, the Sally House up in Atchison, Kansas that everybody talked about. Um you know, you could have a new place to investigate. And this place is big enough for, you know, years and years and years of activity to, to study. And Can uh, investigators that listen to my show... I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, no, no. Can it, investigators that listen to the show, like if they're making their way through Kansas, can they schedule yes. um, like you, investigations? With yes, them? you can rent out the town. I believe it's like $200 a night, but you get all night long and you get access. That's not bad all, at all. You get yeah. access to all the buildings, but... It's a, a museum run by the city, so all the money gets donated back to the museum. So all That's the events, awesome. all the events and stuff we do, we're a nonprofit group. We donate all the money back to the the museum to keep it running because it's a place that I love. I mean, I feel connected to it because mm-hmm. I've been there for so long investigating. Right. So yeah, all the money goes to the museum. It doesn't get spent other than putting it back into you know keeping running the place. You know, preserving it yeah because budgets are tight and stuff especially with the you know pandemic and all that stuff going on so, right you know um visitors are down we're trying to, to do different events we do like booze and brews where like uh people, people over 21 can come and have we have like uh beer trucks and food trucks show up and then we'll take you on ghost tours around the town and that sounds like so I'm so yeah. sad. I'm going to have to plan a trip out because it sounds uh, like so much fun. Yeah, and uh, people can go into buildings and explore, and it's it's at nighttime, so it's like 7 until midnight. And mm-hmm. uh, you just pretty much, if you have equipment, you can go to any building and have a couple adult beverages and just have fun. Or you could actually, yeah. if you're a serious paranormal team, you can, you're more than welcome to come out, and they have teams all the time come out and spend the night, you know, in the town, and you got – free reign of all the buildings it is a museum and we ask you know there are certain rules and stuff but oh pretty pretty much respect is important yeah yeah, Yeah. exactly pretty much it's you get free reign and um the people that work there that will be there at night they know all the activity so they'll guide you to the most active areas and this happens in that building because everybody that works there is very um knowledgeable of the paranormal stuff they they pretty much that's awesome but the the main director she's a really good friend of mine and she in her office, um, they have stuff happen all the time. Just the other day, she texted me and goes, hey, th- I'm working late, and I just heard somebody say boo, and I ran outside, and there's nobody around in my office. Oh, <laughs> no. It tried yeah. scaring her. It, it, it does. We hear little kids all the time in her office, like, giggling. And I don't know about if you've ever been on an investigation, but um, when you hear little kids giggling with your own ears, it's – one of the creepiest things ever. No, yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, just out of the blue, you hear, ha, 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 and you hear like little footsteps run away. That actually hate that. happens. Yeah, that happens there. We actually have them on uh, EVP. We actually have the laughing. It's uh, I'll send you the laughing and stuff too. Please, uh, yeah, yeah. But to hear little kids giggling at you is like it's terrifying. <laughs> but anyway, I don't mess with kid ghosts. No, thank you. I, I don't like to, but Love and Tangle. She she's kind of friendly though. Right, right. Well, um, I got the okay to talk about a story that happens in the museum property. 
I'm going okay. to not mention names. I'm going to change the names just of because course. what happened in this building, uh, the family might still be alive. So, okay, I'm going to start. Okay. I'm going to start. If it starts not making sense, just stop me because it's it's a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. So on the Cowtown property, on in the part, main parking lot, there's this red brick building. Everybody calls it the red brick building. It used to be the city waterworks building where they would, you know, the they would have dispatches and like to work on the city water lines. And, and then it closed down. So now it's part of the museum. It's actually like where they hide artifacts and all that kind of stuff. Um, the bigger artifacts. So the general public don't ever get to go in this building. So about seven or eight years ago, the people that worked there, they kept every time they go into this building, they get scratched by something. And they're like, all we know is somebody died in this building. We don't know any details. We don't know any names. We don't know what happened. It's just when it was a city waterworks building, somebody passed away. So, you know, thinking maybe somebody had a heart attack, you know, at their desk or, you know, it could be anything. Right. Anyway, so we investigate in there. And of course, people get scratched. You see all kinds of shadow people running around in this building. And it's pretty much gutted now. They took all the office walls away, and it's it's just like a big warehouse, pretty much. So I'm standing there, and I have a recorder in one hand, a digital voice recorder, and I think I had a flashlight in my other hand. So I'm just standing there, and something scratches me from right below my <sighs> earlobe, the whole way down my neck, and almost to my throat. Three scratch marks. And you can actually see it, like, bleeding and stuff, like, starting to bleed. Whoa. Right in front of like six people. And I'm like, there's something touching me and on my neck. And they're like, uh, you're bleeding. I was like, what? Wait a minute, what? And I, I, you know, both of my hands, I'm standing there like just with my hands out and going, you know, looking at the person in front of me going, something's touching me and they could see it forming right in front of them. And so we took pictures and all that stuff. And it really freaked me out for the longest time. It's like, I've never really been attacked before. And I wasn't, like, yeah. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't trying to be like Zach Baggins and be like, do something or else. You know, I was, just, right. I was just investigating, asking who your name is and all this and that. Anyway, so I had to step outside and kind of regather myself. I walked back into where I got scratched at and I, I pull out the ghost box and I was like, okay, if you're here with me, just tell me what your name is and I'll never come back in this building. I'll leave you alone. And I get a name and uh, just throw the name out, uh, the Joe, okay? Um, just sure. to, to save the people's names. So I get through the ghost, name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, through the ghost box, I get the name Joe. And I was like, okay. And I made a, I made a, a deal with you. So I'm going to leave you alone. And I didn't go back in that building for like three years. Right. I was obsessed with Joe. I had to find out who Joe, this Joe is. So I go to the city and go to the old records and pretty much I became a detective, me and one of my other friends. She's really good at finding history of buildings and stuff like that. So um, she texts me and said, hey, I found something. And in the city waterworks building, there was a, a person named Joe that committed suicide in the closet of this building whoa that's i mean that's awful that's really yeah. sad but that's no. still so cool the connection is really cool oh it gets it gets better um this sounds like i made it up i have all the information i have all the paperwork <laughs> i can send it to you if you want it uh it's it's insane okay so once we get the name joe and we get his last name 
and we get that he hung himself and he worked third shift. I got his autopsy report. I got the, uh, everything you possibly think of on Joe. We get a phone call about six months later and it's from a girl and she goes, Hey, have you guys ever investigated the red brick building there on Caltown property? I used to work there and my coworker killed himself <gasps> in this building. And I was like, are you kidding me? And she's no, no. And she said his name, Joe and said his last name and he worked third shift dispatch and he was going to go to jail and he couldn't go back to jail. So he hung himself. So I played the EVP for her, uh, the, through the ghost box, the Philippine. Mm -hmm. And she goes, that's his cadence. That's the way he talked. That's his name. That's his voice. And he died oh. in 1992. And this was, you know, maybe four years ago. And we got his name and his cadence and the way he talked and everything. It was amazing to me. Um, I'm in like, I'm just, I, I might sound quiet, but I'm like, no. that's like the dream of, I feel like every paranormal investigator is to totally. make like that type of connection. Like that's I, amazing. I was in shock. So the story gets even crazier from there. And like I said, it sounds like I made this up, but I have every documentation to back all this stuff. I have, witnesses that can say you know that were with me i have at least 10 people that have seen all of this you know and can right. uh, tell the story so anyways and she says you know that's his cadence so i go even more down the rabbit hole of who this joe is and find out where he's buried at and actually went to his grave site what? because i became okay. obsessed with him well he was buried uh just not far you know from town and he was buried next to i guess it was his wife because it had their last mm. name and it had his name and her name and she died in 1978 so i was like okay that's weird he died in 92 she died in 78 so i looked up her name and we come and find out that mr joe killed his first wife <gasps> in 1978 he shot I have all the court records because, yeah, I, I, I tell you, I went down the rabbit hole. I was obsessed for years. Wow. So um, he shot and killed his first wife. Uh, she was sitting in a chair in their house, and he was outside, and he shot through the window and killed her in front of the kids and took off running. They found him in the woods, and he went to jail from 1978 to 1992 for the murder of his wow. wife. Wow. Then he got out of jail in 1992 and he started working in the city waterworks department. And then everybody said that, you know, he was, he couldn't go back to jail. So he hung himself. Well, I found his records and he was going to go back to jail for child molestation. Oh, and no. he was born in 1939 and he died in 1992. So he couldn't go back to jail because he was spent all that time there, you know, from 78 to the nineties, um, you know, for killing his wife. Well, anyways, um, long story short, it, it, on his gravestone, he's buried right next to the wife that he murdered in 1978. And it says together forever. And oh, on the gravestone. I hate that. I hate that too. And I guess the children wanted mom and dad to be together is what they say. So here's joe and so i decided to 
make the decision of breaking my promise to Joe and see what would happen. Yeah, don't keep any promises for him. He's, exactly, he's the worst. At the time, I had no idea who Joe was. Uh, right. A lot of paranormal investigators forget that the ghosts, the spirits, the energy that we talk to or have to communicate with are people. They were people at mm -hmm. one time. So they're still mm -hmm. people. And when I made that promise, I didn't want to break a promise to a person, you know, because it's just right. out of respect. But once I found out his background, I was like, this person doesn't deserve my respect. No. So going back in, into this building with that power of knowing mm -hmm. who this person was, it was not fun. I go back in and growling and uh, people were getting touched left and right. It was almost like a war. He was very not happy that we were back in there and we knew what happened. Because every time I brought it up, I was like, oh, so you want to you know, I kind of got a little aggressive because I was angry and I was like, you know, how could you kill your wife? And I said his wife's name and, you know, I knew all this, I had all this ammunition against this entity. Wow. We heard all kinds of noises and growling and, and screaming and all, all this stuff. When we were filming it, uh, we had a, a camera crew following us around and one of the camera crew, he felt like his stomach dropped, like when you're on a roller coaster and you hit one of those hills, you know, that, that feeling of your stomach mm -hmm. dropping. And he just lost it. He goes, I have to go outside. So we all go outside. And when we went back inside in about an hour past, the building felt like it was torn in half. It was very strange. About half the building felt like it was very dark, evil, menacing. You're going to get hurt if you stand there. And the other side was very like, just kind of calming and so the theory is we had a psychic girl because I'm, I'm not 100% sold on psychics yet I'm still kind of I'm open sure. mind, I'm open-minded but it, it's very hard to take somebody's point of view and and bring it into like you know science you know with science and metaphysical right. it's, it's very hard to cross the two over you know and combine them so mm -hmm. she's in there and she's like she we didn't tell her anything going into the place and she goes well, who split themselves? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she goes, well, when they hung themselves, they split themselves in two, like the dark side, the good side. Like there's almost like a, a battle going on between good Joe and bad Joe. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? yeah. And so it's, you can actually feel it in the building to this day. It's still going on. I haven't gone back in that building lately. And I really don't have any desire. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't go back in that building either. But the people that work there have to go back in that building. And oh, um, yeah, they still have to go in. So they they always go in and pairs now. They never go in that building alone because I believe that Joe is still in there or part of Joe or uh, an uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's it's maybe it's his own like uh, purgatory. I don't know. Maybe he has to fight what he did you know, the evil part of himself and the good part is Maybe. like trying to understand. There's so many questions and I don't know if I'll ever know the answers, but now I know who Joe was and I know what kind of person he was when he was alive. And maybe he's trapped in that building and can't get out, you know, and I don't think he deserves to get out. You know, it's everybody's like, well, why don't you no. cross him over, cross him over to where, you know, he, right. You know, it's like, do we forgive him as ghost hunters? It's, it's very, there's, there, it opens up a whole big, you know, moral kind of thing. When you, you go to these, all these investigations, do you open up and try to cross over what's there? What if they don't want to get crossed over? You know, it's like, 
there's so many different questions um i don't think we'll ever know and it's like what's right right and what's wrong you know it's 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 very confusing to me yeah i never thought about that that's like really interesting because that was going to be my first question is like if it's like a bad thing hurting people like are you going to try to like exercise it or you know get rid of the spirit but it's a good point where it's you like, don't know what that does <laughs> exactly so. it's like is it up to us I, I don't know whatever people believe in um i'm not a crazy religious person but um you know is it up to us to meddle in that kind of stuff it's like maybe he's trapped here for a reason maybe if we try to cross him right. over are we going against the nature of whatever i mean you know we could spend hours and hours you know di- you know just sitting here thinking about you know the what, the, the what ifs yeah. you know it's like so to me i'm just like okay he lives there and i'm gonna go and do my thing you know it's like i'll just leave him alone jeez yeah it's very crazy but that that's probably one of the most interesting stories that that, was so cool yeah Yeah, that's a very interesting story that's exciting that's an exciting story where it's like it's it's so much confirmation yeah uh for paranormal teams uh i'm sure if you talk to the people that run cowtown if you want to do an investigation there they will probably let you in there but just be forewarned if you get scratched and you know it's it's very possible part of it that yeah. something could happen so just be safe because i know yeah. other teams that go in there and they actually try to like you know play with them and and you know think it's a game and then they get you know they get a uh, like a an oppression attached to them and they're like wait a minute i don't feel right and i was like see you shouldn't have messed with it it's like you yeah know, you, you kind of egged it on and now you're kind of wondering what happened well uh what do you think was going to happen you know Did, you yeah. go to somebody in their face and be like what do you got? What are you going to do? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to attack you, you know, especially, yeah. if you're, you know, you're in their area. It's, and then people are like, Oh, what was me? And it's like, you, wait a minute, you wanted this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like, especially when you know, yeah, it's like ghost adventures when they're like, do something. And then they do something and they can take off running. And it's like, wait a minute, you just asked them to do something. And now you're running because you're afraid. <laughs> yeah. Happen. <laughs> You just asked them to do right. it. It's like, wait a minute. You told them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, well, well I, I don't, to me, that just makes no sense. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. That's not the type of like investigating. I haven't gone yet, but I, I, I've been thinking about it and it's more like what you did where it's like getting answers or, you know, yeah. talking to maybe someone on the other side that wants to talk to you. But if I'm getting a vibe that they don't want, any part of this that i don't want to mess with it yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. i don't want to keep going to me it's so it's like when you're talking to your significant other and they're like you know what's wrong nothing it's like if you keep egging one you're gonna ask for you're it. gonna get so, attacked yeah. you're, gonna, you're gonna get it well nothing's wrong well, yeah come on just tell me what's wrong i just said nothing's wrong and it escalates and it's the same way with right. it's like wait a minute you're you're they don't want to be bothered just leave them alone don't bother them yeah yeah that's a great point yeah um yeah, so there's that. But uh, that was so cool. We've been all over town, all over Kansas. Uh, we've been to Branson, uh, Missouri. We did the Titanic Museum in Branson. Whoa! That's been on television a couple times. That's it's very weird standing next to some artifacts that actually came from Titanic. It's actually surreal standing next to like a life preserver from one of the boats. You know, it's it's very yeah, yeah that energy. It, it's 
it's almost like you know when you're in Pennsylvania going to Gettysburg and stepping onto the oh, battle man. stepping onto that battlefield. Yeah. It's like that's a, a feeling that most people will never understand unless you go there. You know, it's hard to explain how it feels when you step onto that battlefield. But that's kind of so it's, heavy. Oh yeah, it's like surprisingly heavy. Even knowing like the history, it there's so much trauma there yeah and we were and we were kids going there you know for uh, for school you know for uh field trips and stuff and i didn't know any better and it's like i would have known now you know then what i know now i would have you know been totally fascinated with you know the history and stuff i was just like oh look butterflies you know it's like wait a minute (laughs) yeah anywhere so many people passed away and it's crazy uh but pennsylvania has so much history paranormal wise Oh, yeah. I uh, always talk about it on the show. Yeah. So much. Okay, this next story. Uh, okay, so I'm from Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and we always used to go outside Reading, Pennsylvania, and uh, it's up by York and all those towns. I don't know if you've ever been to Reading or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like two hours from here. I've been there for shows, for comedy. Well, uh, up in the woods there, we always, as kids, always heard a story, almost like Hookman, but it was, there was a, a, a murderer that lived out in the woods, and us being dumb kids in the high school, we would always go up and go to the woods, and there was this hole in the side of a mountain, and we always called it the meat locker, because rumor had it was there was a hotel there at one time. And this is before the internet and all that stuff. So I personally just went off of like the urban legends. I didn't actually know the real true story. I don't think any of us did. It was just passed down mm. from, you know, hey, we went out to, you know, the, the meat locker and this happened and that happened. So there is this church that's right near the meat locker. And rumor had it was the Satanists lived there. And if you threw rocks at it, the rocks would never the church it would be like a force field and bounce off of it we didn't Whoa. better so we would throw rocks at this thing and just be stupid kids you know shine would you hit it would you like you guys would hit it and still yeah. throw more rocks yeah, I, I, like, maybe it's not working maybe i'm doing something wrong you know <laughs> sure yeah of course yeah, just being stupid kids and yeah if you shine a flashlight at it the, the light would never actually touch the building you know there were so many like you know rumors kind of stuff Totally. Go out there and you know be stupid kids, you know. And back in the old days, you know, you might have had some um, illegal substances in our bodies and just being mm-hmm. um, and going out to hang out there. And I've been out there more times than I can count. Well, that leads me into. Um, I guess I'll start forward and work our way backwards. I guess. Um, okay, so in 1996, when I lived there, uh, one of my friends, his name was Michael was hanging out at my house and he was kind of an addict of uh, drugs and alcohol and stuff. And he was a senior in high school and he was going to have one last hurrah before he checked himself into rehab. And we, he stayed the night at our house and then it got up the next day and was like, okay, we know I'll see you later. I'll see you on the other side uh, of rehab and all that stuff. I'm going to go, see a couple friends and hang out before I check myself in. Well, that night, I guess it was about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, they went up to the meat locker and did the exact same thing. And we've done more times I can count, throw rocks at the plate, 
Well, come to find out, somebody did live in that house. And I guess he just had enough of kids messing with his house, which as an adult, I completely understand now. You know, get your baseball off my lawn kind of thing. You know, stop chucking rocks at my house. You know, yeah. leave me alone. Um, on our side, it was like paranormal. We we're just kind of, you know, seeing you get scared and all that stuff. But as a kid, you don't think about the other side of that's somebody's property and you're being disrespectful. You know, you don't really think about that. And you didn't realize there were people living in the no, house. I, it didn't look lived no, in. Yeah. I, no, not at all. But I guess somebody did live in that house. And maybe when I went there, I just had crap luck that he was at work and I never right. had interactions with anybody. And it was, right. you know, word of mouth, you know, it's, it's a, you know, a Satanist house or whatever. Well, um, this night it was different. So uh, Mike and the guys, there was like five of them in a car and they were driving up and down the street and shining their flashlight, you know, lights in the house and, you know, chucking rocks and just being jerks, you know, just being kids. No, no excuse for it. They shouldn't have been doing it. And neither should have I, you know, now that I know, you know, as an adult. But yeah, you're kids though. Anyway, I hear you. But... You'll be kids. Anyway, yeah. um, so this gentleman comes walking out of the house with a gun, a shotgun, and shoots into the car. And he oh, no. he shot and killed my friend. He was in the passenger seat and shot him in the head. And pretty much he, he was you know not coming back from that. That's so awful. They rushed him to the hospital. And uh, I think he was around for a couple of days. But yeah, there was no, he, he wasn't there. You know, his body might have been, he was gone. Anyways. So we go to this funeral and come to find out who this person was that shot him once his name got out because the cops got a hold of him and, you know, asked him what happened and then, you know, going to court and stuff because he pretty much, you know, murdered somebody. Right. Come to find out who this guy was. And for people at home that want to know the story, just go to um, Dreamland Park murders in pennsylvania and you'll find the history of all of this and uh you could do a whole show on this one subject but i'll just kind of you know kind of skim over it you know just get to me mm -hmm. dreamland park was a uh, somewhat chintzy kind of cheap amusement park that was up in the woods uh a couple miles away from where we were you know always used to go to it's called Skyline Drive, and it overlooks uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. This is where an old abandoned uh, amusement park was. Uh, in 1969, uh, there was a male and a female, and they had their car parked up there, and they were doing what teenagers do in a car. Not studying? Yeah. They were, <laughs> they were, they were a flock. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this is August 13th of 1969. They were parked out there. Uh, one was 18 years old. The other one was 20. Well, what it says in the park, there was a, this sounds crazy, but there was a pagan motorcycle gang that used part of the park as their hangout. Now, that sounds like a really bad, like, movie from, you know, Rob Zombie movie or something. Right, yeah. Pagan motorcycle gang of Pennsylvania. And... 69 um but this is what it was so four members of that motorcycle gang were in a white van which is weird that they would be in a white van but as a motorcycle gang right happened to, to drive past these two people that were in a car 
and they decided to kidnap them and do all kinds of horrible things that you know i'm sure you don't want to know about <laughs> but it's it's if you just dreamland park murders that you can read all you can read it yeah, yeah i i didn't want to get into that um yeah. Uh, one of them was sh- shot to death, and the other one was beaten with a rock and it killed in the woods. Well, the van drives back to their hangout, the pagan hangout, and there's cops everywhere because a bunch of the boys started fighting with each other. So the cops were out there for a completely different reason, uh, not knowing that there's two people that just got murdered like within a couple miles of where the cops were. These four guys get asked about what well, hey what are you doing all this and that and they lie and so this happened in august is when they got killed august 13 of 1969 and october 23rd 1969 is when the bodies were actually found in the woods oh no yeah they were just uh laying there in the woods and they had like tree branches and stuff over top of them and a hunter found them so anyways uh they come to find out who did it and they tracked them down and they found the four guys that were in the van. Two of the guys received life sentences in prison for the actual murders. And then two other guys were like, uh, they were accomplices and they actually did things to the girl. You know, they took turns in the van. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a true crime drama kind of thing. And, one of the guys that was arrested for, you know, being an a, accomplice to the crime, he spent some time in jail. And then when he got out, he was the guy that lived in the church. What? That so this pagan motorcycle guy lived his whole was life. living in a satanic. Sorry. Well, I mean, I don't know if it was a satanic. That was just the that was the the rumor, the myth that the church was a satanic. Satanic church, when all reality it was a pagan motorcycle gang member that lived in there for all these years. After he got out of prison for these Dreamland Park murders, he he got out because he actually snitched on his two friends that got put. Wow! So this guy was a snitch. So he's pretty much hiding out because snitches don't or snitches don't right long right snitches get snitches. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, but he's the one that actually lived in this, this, uh, old church and he committed the murder. He was ordered to stay prison for five years and that's it. He only, this was his second offense. Okay. Sorry. This is a different podcast. (laughs) I I know exactly who, what, what you're saying. He, he got away with it again. Yeah. So he got, um, it was two to five and then, um, he was ordered to serve 10 years of probation after he got out two years for each conviction and the five counts for, you know, um, endangering another person and all this and that. Jeez. Well, he got out in, uh, so he's in prison in 1989 after my friend got killed in 96. So in 98 is when he got, um, he tried to appeal and all this stuff, but anyways, his entire sentence was only five years in prison. He was released in 2003, and he's free to go. And he's he's still around in Reading. He's he's around in Reading. I'm not going to give his name out, but if you want to go look, just put in Dreamland Murders of. Oh my gosh! They they give his name and all that stuff. I didn't want to give him recognition, but absolutely it, not yet. It, Don't it, say it, his name. It, yeah. In the article, it says about how the kids were being 
noisy and they were all drinking and, you know, drugs and alcohol and all this and that. And so it made it sound like they deserved it because they were picking on this poor old man that lived in this house. But from somebody that's been there and did that, I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. You know, it was very wrong now that I look back at it um, to do something like that. But we were kids and we didn't know each other. And, and we were just trying to be spooked by this same satanic church. You know, it's like we weren't trying to. I mean, there's OK, as a kid, there's a lot of things. So, like, first of all, I don't love guns. <laughs> I don't think the reaction to a bunch of rowdy children is to shoot into their car. That's not a normal human reaction. Secondly, teenagers are dumb. Our brains are still forming. Even in our early 20s, we used to do this thing in my town in the Poconos where it's called the 40s, and we would literally jump off a 40-foot cliff. That's not a good idea. It doesn't make sense to a rational brain, but that doesn't mean we deserve to get shot because we're doing dumb stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think... through the 90s and stuff, and it's like, you know, doing the whole Bloody Mary in the mirror. If I would have known yeah. what I know now, I would have never done that. But <laughs> I still, I loved Bloody Mary. That was one of my favorites. When I, and it's kind of the same vibe. Like when you live in a small town, if there's a spooky building, kids are going to yeah. mess with it. You know, and it's kind of the way of things. And it's weird how rumors are, you know, there's some truths to rumors as kids. It's like you hear about, not saying about hookman was real but maybe it was real somewhere in some town right it just got you know almost like whispered down the lane kind of thing and it just throughout all the decades and stuff it just kind of grew into this urban legend and yeah with this place i mean we always knew that there was a murderer that lived in the woods but we had no idea he was a pagan motorcycle guy and about you know because this was before the internet so i had no idea that's insane yeah there's no way yeah, I was like, oh, whatever. People just say that to be, you know, to to freak us out. We go, you know, hang out in a burnt down hotel, you know, in the right. side of a mountain. It's just what kids kids are stupid, and I just yeah. need to be scared, you know. And this is back, you know, back then, and I'm sure kids do it nowadays. In every town I've ever been in, there's a a, a bridge that's called like around here. It's called Theorosis Bridge, and it was about a Native American that got impregnated by a white male and the baby she didn't want it so she threw it over the bridge and you can hear the baby crying and all this and that so people hang out on this bridge all the time but there's also one in pennsylvania with the exact same story just you know different names yeah it's, it's, yeah. you know i'm sure that happens somewhere but not in every town in every state you know um, yeah so it's kind of cool how like urban legends there's there's some reality to it but Unfortunately, I found out the, the hard way, you know, with, uh, yeah, that's so sad. Being, you know, he wanted to change his life around and, uh, I'm not applauding what he did. I, you know, it, it was just wrong time, wrong place. You know, that could have been me. I was there a million times doing that, you know, the exact same thing. Yeah. It could have been any one of us, you know, all my friends, we all used to hang out up there. Um, yeah, it's a really shocking, I don't remember the first, like, like, death or whatever when I was a teen but you you really think you're invincible I feel like at that age and that's why we do the things like you're saying like Bloody Mary and for the 40s and whatever else yeah, so, so it's always like abandoned buildings and stuff to get freaked out but you never know if yeah almost camp of people in there or you know you could be walking into a lot of danger and not really thinking about it because not realizing yeah, yeah yeah exactly and it's and this is a, a proven case of uh, that could happen very easily, you know, and 
the guy pretty much got a slap on the wrist for I can't believe that. That is the most infuriating. He should be stuck in that house with Joe. We should lock him in there. <laughs> exactly. Get them all together. Yeah, just lock him in that red brick house and be like, all right, you guys figure it out, well, you jerks. I haven't been back to Pennsylvania in a very long time. Uh, my parents still live there, and I need to get back and see them. Um, but I've always, the investigator in me wants to go back to that street and see if we could pick up Mike. Because you know, Wow. That was the last thing he thought of. You know, he was in a car just, you know, having fun with his friends, and then he wasn't there anymore. You know, it's like, yeah, so part fast. Of, is part of him still there? You know, the investigator in me wants to go see that. And then my, my, uh, I guess the rational part of me was like, what? No, why would you go back there? You know, why do you even want to mess with that? It's like, why would you want to go back? Who knows if that pagan motorcycle dude is still living there? What if he's still there? Yeah, I have a lot. And like, it feels like so much tragedy and bad stuff happened there. Like, how do you know it's your friend, Mike, that you're talking to? That'd be like, unless like the hardest to, part. He'd be like, you know, telling me something that only me and him knew. But yeah. What does that leave me as an investigator? You know, it's like my poor friend's trapped where this tragedy happened to him. Yeah. Like, why is he still there? You know, it's like, why didn't he cross over? Why isn't he at peace? But, you know, I, I don't, it, it leads a whole. I mean, that's just, that leads down a path of, I don't know, I think we'll ever have answers for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's really, I think at the end of the day, it's something that you need to like weigh for yourself, like emotionally and rationally. Right. If it's a good idea. I I don't know. I feel like the investigator and the the, the curious person in you really wants to, <laughs> but but the other part of me is like you, you do you say happy birthday to him all the time, you know, on his birthdays, and you think about him a lot. And would that really be beneficial to your, you know, mental health? You know, it's like if he was trapped there, it's like would I go off the deep end and try to save him? And you know, yeah, is it up to me to get him, you know, to heaven or wherever he wants to leave? You know to free his spirit that's not up to me to do or right. to me. i don't i don't know that's the thing that with investigators it's like are we really messing with stuff we shouldn't but i'm curious so curiosity got the better of me in a lot of these cases yeah i also think it depends on like how far you go like it's one thing to see them get evidence in any space that you're investigating but it's another to like rile them up and then try to exercise them yeah, exactly. so it's really the point like what's the point of the investigation is it to compile data of like kind of like a nature observationist that like doesn't disrupt the nature or are you collecting it or destroying it you know i always think of it as uh it's almost like bigfoot we searched for bigfoot for so long what if we actually found it then what you know yeah yeah <laughs> he'd be in trouble <laughs> if a ghost came and said, hey, I'm a ghost and I died in 1870 and I was shot to death by so-and-so, um, what would that leave the world? It's like, you know, it's like, would that change everybody's, you know, uh, thoughts on afterlife? You know, it's like, I don't know. are we even supposed to do that? You know, it's like change everybody's thinking or would people still not believe? Because no matter what kind of evidence I have and proof and to me, it makes sense, and it, I hear the EVPs, and it, you know, it, it, to me, I have connection with these spirits. 
But as an outsider, how do I explain to them my, what I believe in? You know, it's, right. it's really tough. You know, I can play all this evidence for them, but if they're not going to believe, they're not going to believe. I can't make them believe in something. So yeah, it comes down to a lot of the houses that we investigate. We were there to help the people that live there. And we do right. like home cases. And I'm there to prove or disprove, hey, we hear these weird noises every night. Uh, hey, you have a lot of raccoons in your attic. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. so, a lot of people, once they watch these shows, they think they have demons in their house. And it's not. It's, uh, you know, uh, like I said, there's mice. or It's a raccoon. <laughs> it's not demons. It's they, they <laughs> squirrels. They didn't take their medicine. And, you know, they're starting to have, you know. Uh, yeah. We run into that a lot. It's like a mental health kind of thing. So as a, an investigator, you have to be a plumber, an electrician, a doctor, a uh, psychiatrist. It's like all these different things you have to learn about because people go through this stuff. And we were uh, just real quick. Uh, we were at this house one time and these people felt their, their house was very, very haunted and there was demons and they couldn't sleep and they felt depressed all the time. And they swore up and down that they were all being attacked by something evil in this house. We get there and we pull out of all of our equipment and uh, a magnetic field, uh, an EMF detector picks up magnetic field. And mm. doing research, people that are uh, hypersensitive to magnetic fields, they can actually hallucinate and they can uh, break out in rashes. It's actually like a medical thing. People that live, wow. People that live like near high line power lines, like the big, you know, metal power lines that go through, you know, past people's houses. A lot of people have a hard time sleeping. They're very agitated because of the magnetic fields. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I always tell people don't sleep with your cell phone next to your head because your brain is getting radiated all night long. And I pull out a case right. just off the scale. And I'm like, this is why you don't sleep with your phone next to your head. Right. This whole house um, is pegging all of our meters like crazy standing in the living room. I'm like, what is going on? Go outside and look. There's no power lines going to the basement and their electricity, the um, ground wire for their electricity of the whole house is wrapped around their copper pipe. So the, wow. they have electric current running through their water supply and it runs right underneath the floor of the living room where they have all this stuff happening to them. And I actually that trace it. Like when you turn the water on, it would set off our, our mel meters and stuff because there was so much magnetic field in their water supply because <laughs> their house was grounded to their water. Um, that's horrifying. Who did that to them? <laughs> that's scary. Old farmhouse and it's like knotted tube wiring. Sure. I, think just, um, I was like, you need an electrician. You don't need you us. <laughs> and I actually tracked the water the whole way through their yard to the water main because there was so much electricity in their yard and through their house. Well, um, they got an electrician out there and he wired the house the way it was supposed to be. And they called us back a couple months later and said, Hey, everything's back to normal. We had some of the best sleep we've ever had. Feels um, To me as an investigator, that's what my main goal is to do is to help people and make them understand that it's not always paranormal. There's rational reasoning for, I would say like 85% of the cases is not paranormal. It's right. a, a logical explanation for it. And, but most people, you know, they watch the TV shows and they want to be haunted so bad that you go yeah. tell them, hey, you have critters that live in your attic. No, it's a demon. 
So some people you can't help, but some people we do help a lot. You make good change. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, educating people is something that I love to do is like, you know, teach them about their, uh, you know, environment because most people, they hear voices and they're like, wait a minute. Well, you know, that was your radio picking up, you know, frequencies from your neighbor's house. You know, it's, there's so many different reasons and rhyme and reasons for stuff, but everybody yeah. haunted. So, yeah. That's really sweet that like, I want to believe everything's haunted. <laughs> I know it's not, but I personally, I like to believe that it is. Um, that brings us to like, when you first asked the question, if I'm a believer or a skeptic, I'm both. It's like, I have to be yeah. at the same time. It's like, right. I mean, I've seen stuff I cannot explain. I've seen weird lights in the sky. I, I don't know if there are airplanes. I have no idea, but airplanes don't move like that. You know, it's like, there has to be right. something, but I don't know what it is. Right. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like I kind of live in both worlds of skeptic and believer. That's awesome. That's well, this whole thing, this whole episode has been fantastic. Honestly, even just one of those stories would have made for a great episode. So you definitely spoiled our listeners <laughs> today. Um, thank you so much. Where can they find you? Um, it's at uh, KS White Noise Paranormal on Facebook. That's the name of our team. And uh, I host a podcast and we do like, pop culture news of the day, like uh, comic books and nerd stuff and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, it's called Villain Villa Podcast. And we're almost at 200 episodes already. So, Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's where you can check me out at. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. No, thanks for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. I love telling these stories. Real Chills is produced by Meg Getz and Alyssa Chaskowski. The show is edited by Dan Getz, theme music by Sam Williamson, and artwork by Buffy the Design Slayer. Subscribe where you get podcasts and follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Real Chills Podcast. Slide into those DMs with your true scary stories. Real Chills Podcast is a member of the Wasted Robot Network. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com podcasts.